Welcome into episode 73 of the Gumprinters Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law here with you tonight. Alabama narrowly escaping uh, the home upset versus the Texas A&M Aggies, a game which Alabama was favored by 24, 24 and a half points. Ends up winning by four. Um, Texas A&M has a shot from the two-yard line or three-yard line, whatever, to uh, to win the game. And a questionable call by Jimbo. We'll talk about that. Um, you know, the quarterback didn't even throw it in the end zone. But, um, you know, we'll talk about how, how we got there, uh, what happened, Alabama playing with the backup quarterback. Everybody says, you know, A&M did too. Guys, Haynes, Haynes King started the season last year for Texas A&M. And he started this year for Texas A&M. You know, he was battling out with uh, with Max Johnson beginning of the year, and he won the nod and uh, played light trash. And then Max came in, played light trash, and then got hurt. So it was back to Haynes King. So this guy's got a hell of a lot more experience than Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow making his first start against his home state team. He's from Texas and uh, didn't go great. But, uh, you know, he was plus three or minus three by himself. Uh, the turnover margin, which is something you never want to see out of a quarterback, uh, no matter how many starts he's made. But he was able to throw three touchdowns, only threw for 111 yards, which I think was the lowest by Alabama quarterback since Jalen Hurts threw for 96 uh, against a Jimbo team in, in the Florida State Seminoles back in 2017 to open that season up. And, uh, you know, Jalen Moody – was out this this week. Nobody really knew until game time. You ended up having a bruised kidney, uh, which was which was crazy. So Deontay Lawson fills in. I thought he played an exceptional game. He did really good. Um, didn't miss a beat right there. That other linebacker spot. Uh, no Bryce Young. Uh, guys, you know, there's a lot. Our big discussion tonight regarding the Texas A&M, and we'll talk a little bit about the defense. We'll talk about receivers, offensive line, run game, stuff like that. But, you know, everybody's talking about Jalen Milrow. And our big discussion, um, disagreement, I guess, was whose fault really is it? Because we understand that, you know, Bill O'Brien is not the best play caller that's ever sat in the booth for Alabama and, and Bryant-Denny Stadium. He's not, not the best guy that's ever called plays for the Tide. But, you know, he's been doing a better job lately. You know, we wanted to see more spread with Milrow. Uh, my formation breakdown, we ran 70 plays, only 32 spread formations, uh, which is 46%. 17 double tight set, sets. Um, ran a lot of bunch, a lot of, a lot of stack sets in this game. Uh, I would personally like to see it spread out a little bit more with Jalen and maybe some more four wide receiver sets and less Latu. I understand that you want to have Latu in there because we're, I think we were like 73% run. It was almost three quarters of the way, you know, run to pass ratio. And uh, so our, our big discussion here is, is it all on Jalen is it all on Bill O'Brien or is it a mixture? And I understand that you guys have different opinions on this. I, I, I think I'm interested to hear what Lester has to say. He hadn't been discussing it with us. All we've been hearing is wait for the pod pod going to be lit. I, I'll say it on the pod. So Lester, I'm going to start with you, dude. Um, in, in this game, is this maybe what you expected out of Milrow? Did you expect him to maybe throw for a little bit more yards? I, I, I just needed him to throw for around 180 
maybe 200. I didn't expect, you know, I didn't want 111 out of him. But the struggles in this game were apparent. Um, him fumbling, not being able to hold on to the football, holding the ball too long, being indecisive. And, and, and so who's at fault here in your opinion? I, well, first and foremost, my blame will go squarely on Bill being Saban. Bryce Young is a generational quarterback. He can do things that 99% of quarterbacks on earth cannot do, whether that's, you know, making throws, um, reading defenses, pre-snap reads, post-snap, you know, versatility, escaping, doing things like that. That is that guy. That is one guy. And for them not to have a better contingency plan if Bryce ever went out, which is, you know, you don't want it to happen, but it's football. It, 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 I mean, injuries happen. No matter how, you know, basic or, you know, generic that that tackle seems that he took, you know, Bryce isn't a stout guy by, you know, any means. Like, injuries happen. For Nick Saban and Bill Brown to not have a better contingency plan for that, is completely unacceptable. You've seen this guy since high school. You've seen him since he stepped foot on campus. You've seen him throughout spring training, summer, fall camp. He ain't Bryce Young, guys. He's not. And I'm not putting that fact on Jalen Miro. He is not Bryce Young. So of all this time that you've seen him, analyzed him, he's been under your tutelage since he's gotten on campus, why was there not a better plan for this guy? Now, you don't have to have a completely different playbook or nothing like that, but, guys, it's 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 football. If you call a play from one play, it's two different plays. It's not nothing that's super complicated. It's not nothing that's uber, you know, rocket science or anything like that. I'm not saying you come out and run the triple option. Was, I mean, hell, they could have. I don't think it would have been that hard to implement, but that's just because it's football. Why not have more option reads? Why not have more option plays? Why not, like you said, Chase, in your breakdown, why not spread it out more? You know, do you think Jalen came up in this bunch offense, NFL-type offense crap? No, he did not. That is not the type of quarterback who can sit back and thrive like Bryce does in that type of offense. Saban? Bill O'Brien should have had a better contingency plan for what happens in case Bryce is ever out. Now, that's one side of it. Number two, could Jalen's ass have been so tight he couldn't squeeze out a fart Saturday? Yeah, probably. You know, you got 100,000 people. You know, this matchup has been built up since the summer between, you know, the beat between Nick and um, Jimbo. Yeah, that's that's probably part of it too. And once again, what did they do to ease that quarterback into the game? What did they do to make that experience, that start, you know, on Saturday night better for him? I didn't see a damn thing they did. Now, you could tell there was maybe a handful of plays that they called that was like, okay, that's a Jalen Monroe play. Okay, that was for him. Just a handful. And when I say a handful, I mean not nearly freaking enough. So, yeah, I'm I'm gonna put that squarely on 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 Nick and Jimbo there to 
because they didn't do things to ease their guy into the game. Now, sure, nervousness, whatever. Hey, I've talked about it all the time. It's just different from practice to when those lights come on. There's 100,000 people screaming at you. And granted, hell, lucky for Jalen, those are his own fans. You know, but nevertheless, that was a huge moment and a huge game into the season thus far. So, sure, a little bit of nervousness, yeah. But what does Saban and Jimbo do to help ease their young quarterback into the game? I didn't see not nearly enough. I don't really disagree with a lot of that, to be honest with you. Um, I I mean, I think you're spot on with a lot of that stuff. And especially, like you said, starting out the game, get this guy two or three easy completions. One thing that Drew brought up was we ran a, a motion play with Burton, a little slide motion, and then play action Gibbs to the left and just threw it out to him. He couldn't have thrown it more than six yards in the air. He just flipped it to him, and Burton runs around the right edge for 12 yards. I mean, if y'all remember, you know, we got the Tennessee game this week. I remember in 2014, I went up there. It was the last time I went to Knoxville. We had Blake Sims, and Amari Cooper did that same play. On the first play of the game, took it 75 yards down the right sideline. On the road, Kiffin's just going to try to get Blake an easy completion, get the nerves out, get the butterflies out, and he just slides it out to Coop, and Coop, takes it around the edge for 75 yards. It's an easy play. You see it run by damn near everybody. That play should have been run 15 times. I mean, just an easy completion. Everybody remembers, even with Sarkeesian was the offense coordinator, how many balls did Devonta Smith catch behind the line of scrimmage? It was a ton. I mean, of course, you know, Devonta could do just about anything he wanted to do, so I'm not comparing him to anybody that we have because obviously we don't have that guy. But as far as getting your guys in space and getting your receivers and your speed in space. That's something that I, I didn't think we did a good job of. Um, i say it's probably 40 or probably 60 to 40 is what I figured Milrow to Bill O'Brien, because when it comes down to it, you practice this playbook. I mean, it's not like whenever Milrow gets his reps in practice that they bring out another playbook. I mean, he, he does run this stuff. Um, but it's also not hard to draw up creative plays for a running quarterback. You know, the fact that they're forcing this guy to stay in the pocket and make coverage reads is just it's ridiculous. He, he's not able to do it. Uh, I've said for two years he's not a quarterback. Um, hell of an athlete. And I think he could actually he's got he's got the athleticism to play in the NFL. But if you leave him a quarterback, he's never going to take a snap in the NFL quarterback ever, unless he's like a Taysom Hill type. Um, but, you know, Bill O'Brien's paid over a million dollars a year. Uh, you know, while Milrow is not a passer and I don't think he'll ever develop into a consistent one, maybe like a Blake Sims did, there are things you can do to get your guys in space, your jets, your different motions, misdirections, um, flat throws, uh, throwback screens, motion screens, you know, there's all kind of stuff. And a good offense coordinator doesn't just have a playbook and says, here it is. There's nothing else that we're going to add. We might add one or two things, you know, because going back to Lane Kiffin, Scott had, three different quarterbacks in three years. You had Blake Sims, who was his most dual threat guy. Blake could throw it, um, but he, he could also run the hell out of it. And then the next year he had a sitting duck, a quarterback in Jake Coker, who couldn't run a lick. And then the next year he had Jalen Hurts, the true freshman, who was about as raw as it gets. Um, you know, and so he had three – and he, he he didn't have the same offense in any of those three years. Um, so a good offensive coordinator can adjust to your personnel – uh, 
I'm not going to put 100% of the blame, though, on either one of them because when it comes down to it, Milrow, he does practice this stuff. He does run it against a Nick Saban defense every week as a scout team quarterback, I would think. And uh, and so he's got to execute better. J-Law, what's your, what's your take on, on the Milrow situation and how he performed Saturday? It's time. Guys, listen. Chase, you're right. This guy's never playing in the NFL at this rate. I mean, he's going to have to get way better. I mean, his, his skill level throwing the football in his second year is, what, 50% of Jalen's freshman year? I mean, it's bad. This guy made what – what, what, what did they say? Alabama doesn't just track turnovers. They track turnover-worthy plays. Yeah. This guy made nine turnover-worthy plays in this game. So he had three. There were six more times where he should have turned the ball over. I can I watched the game. There's four other times where he directly hit an AM guy in the numbers. So I mean, what do you want Bill O'Brien to do in this situation? You have a guy that he's your number two quarterback. He he's the guy that you have to back up. You have a backup center in the game. You have all these freshman receivers playing. You got a first-year guy in your system in Jameer Gibbs. And then game week, it's all right, let's completely change the offense so Jalen Milrow can be successful. I get it. Throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage. Do some things for him. But this guy single-handedly, single-handedly, I don't care if Riker missed field goals or not, this guy single-handedly put Texas A&M in a situation to win this football game. It's not because he can't throw. It's not. This not that's not why this game was close. It's not because Jalen Milrow cannot throw the football. It's because Jalen Milrow, one, cannot make good decisions. And number two, in, inside of that, he can't protect the football. This game was very, very close to – and one of those was on Jason McClellan as well because we did get an interception back thanks to Terry on Arnold. But this game was very close to being a 28 nothing game at halftime. You're up 7 nothing with the lead. You're driving the football. Go, yo, yo, what, what, what did we do to help Jalen Milrow? How about we ran for 288 yards? When is – I mean, guys, we ran for three – Hundy on these guys. If you want to help your quarterback, hand the ball off to one of the best players in college football, Jameer Gibbs. It, it worked. It worked the whole game. Jalen Milrow, you're not a passer. I think he stood in the pocket this week and said, everybody's telling me I can't throw the football. It's time to prove the doubters wrong. Dude, do that when we play Auburn in the second half when we're up by 40. You need to run in this game. Look at the first drive and the second drive that Alabama had the football. We didn't score a touchdown on the first three, I think, three punts. This guy had numerous opportunities to just take off. That's what you do. First read's not there, run. There are also plenty of opportunities and plenty. I know that everybody's saying that Bill O'Brien didn't make it easy for him. There were probably nine to 12 plays in the thick of this game. So after the first quarter where – the first read was open, and it, and he's just not there. He's either not pulling the trigger, not trusting his receivers. Um, even when he took a sack on the – to make it, what, outside of the 30. So, he had a first – third down and seven at the 22 or something. He took a 10-yard loss. I know they're blitzing. They're bringing gas. I get it. But, man, dude, you're a second-year guy. You've been in this – you've been in this offense as long as Bryce Young's been in this offense. It's true. You got to know your hot reads, Cubby Prentice. Stand in there, take a hit, deliver the football. You know who's coming. The guy ran up to the line of scrimmage. He showed you, he's going to show you he's blitzing. You got to hit the guy. It's a touchdown if he hits him. Instead, he runs backwards 10 yards and takes a sack and forces Riker to kick a 50 yarder. 
I mean, those aren't chip shots. So this game is not about Jalen Milrow not being able to throw. This game is about Jalen Milrow not making good decisions and completely, like Nick Saban said, played the whole game with anxiety, wouldn't release the football when he needed to, and he turned the football over and single-handedly almost handed this football game to Texas A&M. And that, those are the things that can't happen. I fully believe that you could have ran Ty Simpson out in this game, handed it off the same amount of times we handed it off, get, dial up the same easy throws that Jalen Miller got to throw. And this, if without the turnovers, it's a 31-10 to 10 ball game in Bryant-Denny Stadium. No shot at Jalen Milrow. I just don't think that he did anything that he needed to do in this ball game to help Alabama win. Let's see through three touchdowns. I think they were all on the first read. Maybe the one of Ja'Cory Brooks wasn't. Burton, yes. Latu, yes. It was boom, boom. You almost he almost knew who was going to be open by the defense, how the way that they were aligned. So, yeah, I'll give him his credit on those touchdowns. But, man, you can't have three touchdowns and three turnovers. They cancel each other out. And you put AM in good field position the whole time. So I, I'm gonna go 90-10 Milrow. That because if you don't turn the ball over, no, listen, if he doesn't turn the ball over, this game is over. It's it's that's as simple as that. It is. That's how well our defense was playing. You don't give them the ball on the 50-yard line three times, the game's over. Yeah, I think that uh Matt McLaren said that AM had like 14 drives. I think two of them went for over 40 yards. Or something like that, and uh, so yeah, you give them a short field. It's a lot eerily, easier. eerily similar to how we lost to Auburn with Mac. The only difference yeah. is, and I saw people say, "Well, Mac Jones turned it over, throwing sometimes." Mac Jones also threw for like four hundred yards in that game. This is completely different, and it was on the road. Not the same scenario. Yeah, and one of those was head off the running back's back. I mean, you you can't, you know. Uh, anyway, um, really don't want to bring up that game. So there's Saban has said to the media that um, since Jalen's been on campus, when Hertz was here, he said that in practice and in scrimmages, they let Jalen do a lot more freestyling and a lot more running and, uh, you know, still wore the black non-contact jersey or whatever, but they didn't force him to stay in the pocket. And he said one thing they've done differently with Milrow is they have made him stay in the pocket and practice. And, and as soon as he took off running, boom, they're blowing the play dead. And they'll get all over him or whatever. And you think that's hurt him. Is that right, Jay Lossie? You think that if maybe he had adapted the Jalen Hurts style of play of, you know, one read and I'm out, that he would be a lot more successful? Uh, yeah, if you can't throw the ball. I, I mean, listen, I know, I'm sure this guy's completing passes – in practice, I'm sure he is. He's got Blake Barnett syndrome. I mean, when the lights came on in the big, in a humongous moment, he didn't come in with the 14 nothing lead in the football at the 25 yard line. This was a little bit more difficult. We saw this going back to the, the week before, guys. We had three almost 80 yard runs on three drives. We knew that wasn't going to happen this week. So we scored two touchdowns with Milro and then went flat. For the next what 22 and a half minutes of football, probably. So, like we knew this was gonna happen. Now, I do think that they want him in practice to stand in the pocket, deliver the football when he plays in scrimmages against <laughs> in preseason. That's what they want him to do. But if you're Jalen Milrow and this is a must-win game, buddy, this isn't time for you to work on your out routes. This isn't time for you to see if you can get through five progressions. You're a young quarterback that hasn't started in the SEC playing. A defense is with loads of talent. It, those, those types of things take reps. In this situation, 
I think you have to do what you're good at. I know you guys had to be sitting there watching saying, dude, Jalen, take off, run. You're you're to your second read. You're you haven't pulled the trigger yet. You could do he's pumping. You know, y'all look at me on the screen. <laughs> he's doing all this. He's got to he's got to take off. If you're not going to let it ride, take off. And if he just takes off and covers the football up, Alabama, dude, they don't just win. They cover. Yeah. And of course, if you make your field goals, you win 31 to 20 anyway. But yeah, the, the three turnover, three turnovers by Mill Road, four total in this game. Um, Texas AM was actually 19 and one in their last 20 games when they were plus two or better in the uh, in the turnover battle. And this this game they were plus three. So it still speaks volumes to the defense and what they were able to do, holding them out of the end zone whenever they needed to there at the end. Um, but yeah, it, it's Lester, do you have anything to say, you know, after hearing J-Law, hearing me, you know, anything that's maybe changed your opinion or anything you want to add to that? Um, Previously to this game, how much has Miro played this season? Sparingly. And, you know, we've how, how many times have we called for a backup quarterback to throw the ball? I call for it every time. Every yeah, time. Know. And two was the yeah. last quarterback that when he was a freshman, he came in there and Dable said, screw you. I don't care what the score is. I'm throwing the ball with this guy. And he let he 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 allowed Tua to let it rip. But the last two years, you know, or even in 2020 when Bryce would come in, we'd run it twice. And uh, so even under Sarkeesian, run it twice. And now Bryce has got a third and nine facing all out blitz. Like, good yeah. luck. You know, it, it, you can't get reps like that. And then, of course, Milrow. Uh, so, and last year, I guess Paul Tyson, too. But yeah, something we've called for for years. I mean, think, look at, look at it. Like, Utah State, 55 to 0. UL Monroe, 63 to 7. And you have an SEC opponent, Vanderbilt, you won 55 to 3. How much film was Milro able to get on? How much, you know, game time was Milro able to get on film? Like, legit, like running the offense, running some plays. How much film work was he able to, you know, stuff has he been able to put on film in those? You have three games. Three games to, to all right. Here's our backup. Let's run the offense. Let's see how he does. Let's put stuff on film. Let's dissect it. Let's talk with him about it to see what we can improve, what he can improve. Yada yada yada. And that hadn't happened. And there's been three perfect opportunities to do that this year, and that's an abject failure on you know in my book. So, but guy, I think the stuff was open. The interception he threw. Dude, if you throw it 10 more yards, it might be a touchdown. It, we're going to catch it. He missed it the same way he missed Burton last week by 15 yards. I don't know if it was Burton on this one, Apprentice, whoever it was. I was it was. Like this. It was Burton. Yeah. I, he, he ran right by everybody. I mean, you have – throw it too far, please. Don't underthrow. That's why I got picked off. I just think if you go back and watch, and you literally have to watch it sometimes because it might be the second read that's wide open. There were some times in this game where we had a chance to to make a play with his arm, and we didn't. And I, to Lester, to your point, I think there might be a reason why when we roll Jalen Milrow out there in the middle of the third quarter against Utah State that he's really not. I know you wanted to throw the football, but can he? I don't want to say that he can't. I'm just saying that right now where he is, we know he is a developmental quarterback in our system. That is it. You can't have two playbooks. Well, you Lester's saying – is that- yeah, because I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you at all, Jay. I'm I'm just taking it from a different angle. I agree with a lot of stuff that you're saying, but you can't put that on a 19 year old kid. Like you you can't put 
all of it on a 19-year-old kid. That's all I'm saying. Um, it's it's bizarre. You're you're right. Like the dude has to grow up and like let this let the ball go for sure. But you know, yeah, that's a that's a that's a hell of an environment to bring a kid in on, you know, when he especially when you've had opportunities over the season to do it. Look, go out, beat folks to sleep. Like Arkansas, go up. It should be 49 to zero at halftime. Whoop the shit out of people. Do it. And this is one of the reasons why. Play your backups. I think that, I mean, uh, and, and you know, another thing we've talked about is saving all, you know, caring about the other players, parents, and shit like yes. that. Like you, you cut Utah State and Lama, what, a $2 million check, $1.5 million? Buddy, I'm finna hang 90 on your ass. And it's not a disrespectful thing. You have to understand that. And I'm telling their coach before the game, look, I've got a backup quarterback that's never played. Like he, when he comes in, he's got to be able to throw the ball. And, yeah, like Lester was talking about, uh, Utah State, Lamo, and Vandy, Jalen had 18 total passes, pass attempts in those games. Against Lamo, he threw it twice. He was 0 for 2. I mean, in those type games, when he's playing, what, 25 minutes, 20 minutes in a game, he's got to have – you've got, what, maybe three, four drives? He's got to have 10, 12 attempts easily. You've got to say, hey, look, I apologize if we bust one and we score, but I've got to get this guy reps because we are one injury away from a 165-pound quarterback uh, with an offensive line who's not tremendous. They're better. They're doing well, but you just never know. And we know how shaky Bryce is calling out protection sometimes. You never know. It just takes one free guy coming off the edge to end Bryce's season. And then all of a sudden, you've got a backup quarterback that hadn't even thrown. And so I think so. that's what Lester's talking about. That's one thing we preach, though, is that Saban's so damn concerned with, you know, just running up the score on people. Yet whenever his defense or somebody does something wrong when it's 63 to 7, he's the first one to get all over their ass. But he won't hold himself accountable for the development of his backup quarterback and the development of his backup players. Is that what you're kind of saying, Lester? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, you have to do what's best for your team, your national championship contending team. I don't see Ohio State holding it back on people. Ever, Hell no, ever, like we, seventy-seven we, on somebody. Yeah, we'll look up on Saturday morning, Saturday night, the college football final. Ohio State's won seventy-seven to twelve or some shit like that. And like, who cares? That's what you're supposed to beat people to sleep, you know? Like, you know, you do that against Arkansas, and Bryce goes out. Maybe the leads in, you know, a pretty dang good, you know, far enough out of reach where they're not threatening again. But you know. Nevertheless, like, you know, it is what it is. Um, we've said a lot about this game, but, geez, man, Alabama came out with a dub. Like, that's all that matters in my book. You know, ugly, yeah, but surviving advance, man. You're the University of Alabama. You've got the best players in the country. At what point do you stop saying, you know, win's a win? Because, like you said, we used to go out and beat the hell out of folks. <laughs> And I, I get with the spread air, it's tougher or whatever. I get you had a backup quarterback, but 
this was not a team, even with Jalen Miller at quarterback, that should have hung around with Alabama for this long. And like J-Law did, did say, the turnovers keep you in the game. It doesn't matter, you know, how, how well you play. If you turn the ball over and you don't force enough turnovers, you're, you're not going to have a lot of success. And Alabama was lucky to get out of this game with the, uh, with the win. You know, still stupid penalties, two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. What's the deal there, J-Law? Is, and Nick Saban gets on Monday, he says the same shit. Every week, we're trying to fix this. We got to fix this. We got, I, I mean, why don't you do it? And I think I, I firmly believe it's because he is getting older. He's not as hard as he used to be. And I don't think he holds people accountable the way he used to. Like, I understand making you run stadium stairs, but if you choose somebody's ass in front of 100,000 people and in front of millions of people watching, I think to a kid, that gets that hits home a little bit more. It would to me. Uh, if you do it behind closed doors, you know, that's one thing. But if you embarrass me on that, and, and granted, the new generation's kids might just up and quit. You never know. But, General, what's the reason for the lack of discipline with this team? Because it started week two with Texas, and it hasn't really gotten any better. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll almost halfway give Burton a pass. You know what? I never gets no. Never no, gets no, no, no. Hear me out. Listen, I'm just saying. Listen, the guy he hit Burton twice. Sure. At least he at least he was doing a man up thing. Have you ever just stood over somebody and probably screamed the things that J.C. Latham screamed at somebody? I mean, with the yeah. head referee. No, I'm saying you have, but I it's have. just like. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. You it you know it's a penalty. Yeah. Like you know it's a penalty. We're moving down the field, dude. Get up. Get back up to the line of scrimmage. I think both sides of our football, both sides of the ball take on the personalities of their coordinators, defense. I know you're asking about one thing here. Dude, where's the tenacity to step up? Dude, oh, offense turns it turns it over. Hey, let's force a field goal. Not not don't just come out here and just let Haynes King, who is a I almost said the F word, who's a freaking nobody. He's a nobody. March down the field, score two touchdowns on you. Step up, get a stop. Kirby's going to let that guy go down there and score two tutties on him? No. At least not as often as it's happened to Pete Golding over the last three years. This is supposed to be the best Alabama defense we've seen since 16. Probably the most talent that we've ever had on defense from top to bottom is what everybody's saying. And you can't – hey, man, stop them. Let them get 20 yards, whatever, two, two first downs, kick a field goal. Quit giving up jump balls. I just think that both sides of the ball take on the personality of their coordinators, and we know what that is for Pete Golding. Laid back, carefree, get drunk, drive, get a DUI. You know, uh, you know, my daddy's going to call in the fine bomb and protect me type of attitude. And Bill O'Brien, he's just here until he gets another job. We know that. And my God, if there's ever been a guy who you wish would break his commitment to Nick Saban, you would hope that it would have been Bill O'Brien going into last offseason. So I, I think that's the biggest issue in this. It's easy for Nick Saban to, to say Saban's gotten soft, and I think he has. I think coordinators have gotten soft because now you see guys who I know they work hard. You were telling me that Wolford works, what, 18-hour days, so he's at home for four hours a day, counting if it's 30-minute drive there, 30-minute drive back. So it's already tough enough on these coordinators as it is. So you're going to be a hard-ass to the coordinators. Coordinators will be a hard-ass down to the players. You're not going to keep staff for long. But, I mean, you got to stop with these 15-yarders. Another game with multiple 15-yarders. Another game with, I think, two face mask penalties. I mean, it's four penalties for 60 yards for Alabama right there. 
We are 117th in the nation in penalties. We are also 93rd in the nation in opponents' penalties against. So we commit all the penalties, and our opponents apparently don't commit any. We are playing with fire. If you count a minus six turnover differential inside of that, we are playing with fire, and that's what's got to change. I think that's the most frustrating part for a lot of us. You listen to Saban on Monday. We're looking at personnel. We're evaluating that situation. We're evaluating this. Dude, we're about to play 10 atop. We're going on the road to a top six team in America in the seventh week of the year. Fix, fix it, figure it out, and let's go. Yeah, it's. Uh, <clears throat> I think it always goes back to your head coach. Doesn't matter what your coordinators do, but you know, throwing a punch, that's something that I, I mean, yeah, I get it. It's just a prideful thing, but I mean, the way I look at it, if you're if you're so much if you're all about team, it doesn't matter. It it doesn't matter. I don't care what you do to me. I'll be damned if I'm gonna put my team, my brothers that I care about more than anybody, I put them over everything. I'm not gonna throw a punch, even though you've hit me twice. I understand it. I'm not gonna put my team in a situation, especially when we're struggling moving the ball anyway. Same thing with Latham. I care about my team too much to stand over and yell at somebody after I, I, I pancake them or whatever. When I know it's a penalty, five years ago, you can do that. That's fine. They probably were not going to call it. Uh, the game has gotten softer. I understand that. So you've got to be able to control your emotions better. And if you're so mentally weak that you can't handle somebody talking trash to you, so the next time you get them – you're going to talk hella trash, then you're going to get flagged for it. Or if you can't just man up and walk away, then to me, it just says that you're not about the team. And honestly, I can kind of see that with Burton more and more each week. Um, you know, he, he's not – he doesn't put a lot of effort into downfield blocking. He does stupid stuff. He doesn't – doesn't seem like he puts a lot of effort into his routes – and so, you know, I, his, my respect level for him is kind of decreasing weekly. And uh, it, that was a really low point for me with him doing something like that because I understand the guy hit you twice, but that's just an excuse. If you're, if you're all about the team and you care a lot about your team, you're not going to put your team in harm's way. And that's completely on you. That's not on anybody else. Only you can control that. Nobody else can. Uh, Lester, let me ask you this. This is one thing that I noticed – Rewatching the game, you you can't really tell this live when you're at the in the stadium, but when I rewatched it live, or when I rewatched it on TV on Sunday, did it seem like without Bryce playing, that the emotion level of the team went way down, the morale went way down, and I understand Bryce is an upbeat guy, you know, he loves celebrating with everybody. And I understand there wasn't really a lot to celebrate about because our offense did struggle, but it seems like whenever there was a big play or whatever, offensively, they had the defense played with some, some pretty good emotion. Um, but offensively, especially, did it seem like to you without Bryce, there just, there wasn't, the morale wasn't very high and the emotion, emotion level wasn't as high as it usually is. Yeah. It seemed like just overall confident, the confidence, in themselves were just was just kind of down instead of rallying around Milro, like you said, everybody was just kind of like 
drag him ass to a degree. Like maybe, you know, these guys have seen me around practice. Maybe they were kind of expecting kind of a letdown almost. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that, it, that there wasn't a sense of urgency that should have been for that game. I, I agree. Yeah. Jayla, what's your take on that? Cause it seems like same. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't know these guys. I, I don't, but it seems from an outsider's perspective, these guys are more worried about their celebrations and what they're going to do after a big play than, you know, trying to trying to reach out for that extra block, trying to trying to, you know, run this route a little bit harder and help my quarterback out that's struggling. Say, hey, look for me. I got you on this play. Come to me. You know, make me your one read, and let's go get it. And it seems like we just don't have the dogs on the offensive side of the football, except for Bryson Gibbs. I think Gibbs the dog. But at the receiver spot, I still think we have talent. I think we have plenty of speed. I just don't think that dog's emerged. And I just that's what it seems like to me. Tell me what, what you think about that aspect, and especially with Bryce being out. I agree with a lot of that. I agree with um, there was probably a lack of emotion on the team. I think there was a lot of nervousness on the team. I think there's a lot of pressure put on every single player on the team on on the offensive side of the ball, and um and I think as far as the receivers go, listen, I, they, these guys have practiced with Milrow. They know Texas A and M is bringing gas. They know there's time for one read. Why? I just think if I'm Jermaine Burton and I know I'm not read number one, and these and they're and they're blitzing seven, so they know there's not going to have any time to get to me. Why am I about to run this forty yard vertical? Why because am I about you're to a team guy. That's exactly. I know, what I but but about. you know it's you know it's not it's not right. You, you sure. know the ball is not going to get to you. Sure. I'm just telling you, all three. I think all three touchdowns were first free throws. Maybe they were. Brooks was a little different. So that nah, means Brooks was a that was a rub route on a draft. He was the only. Maybe maybe I'm thinking about Burton then. But so, but they were they were all first free throws. They're bringing gas. You know, you're not getting the ball. I thought. Listen, Tyler Steen in this game stepped up. The highest graded tackle in America this week. I thought Latham played a hell of a game. I thought Seth McLaughlin. Listen, well, you know he's going to get blown up once or twice a game, but he's a steady Eddie out there. Um, Booker, it was really Booker, Cohen, and Ekior who combined for a lot of those quarterback pressures after reading some of the breakdowns that on three did. So, um, I just I do think that without Bryce, the, the old Alabama would step up and play for their backup quarterback. Um, but to me, Bryce is just he is he showed we've learned for the last six quarters, he is everything for this offense. And he can make Bill O'Brien look good when probably no other quarterback in college football outside of C.J. Stroud can, but he can also make Trayshawn Holden look good. He can make Jermaine Burton look good. And a lot of those guys, they looked bad. They really did. They looked bad uh, when they knew that they weren't going to get the football this week. So you got two dogs on offense, Gibbs and Bryce. I I like Roy Dell. Um, I think some of those younger receivers are still really hungry. And – I would not be surprised to see a Tyler Harrell sighting this week in uh, at Tennessee. Evaluating personnel, I think that's where Saban was going. He's saying that we got some guys that are half-assing it out there when they know they're not getting the football, and I think that showed on tape Saturday. Well, has Burton not played more snaps than anybody? I mean, don't you think he'd be number one in that regard? I mean, this guy's a, a piss-poor blocker and doesn't give a lot of effort, and figured he'd be he'd be number one on that list, but he seems to be – and they're on every single play, him and Holden. Uh, 
defensively lesser the package with 31, 98, 15, and 41 on a third and long. How deadly is that? And that's something that we saw in or we heard about in a couple of fall scrimmages. Uh, haven't really seen it. A four, haven't seen a four down with Latham um, yet this season. We've seen a couple of three down with, with Dallas, Braswell, and Will. But all four of those, how much of a luxury is that when you've got four guys that can get to the quarterback with ease and have hella speed off the edge and then good push through the middle whenever you're in a third and long situation, which allows you to drop seven guys in the coverage? That is an elite package with those guys on the field. And you know what? It'd be even better if the rest would call the damn game how it's supposed to be called. Uh, Subtles put up a stat. He tweeted it out. I can't remember exactly what it was. But those guys are not getting called for the amount of pressure that they get on the quarterback. They're getting held and everything and damn near every time that package is on the field, and it's just not getting called. But regardless of that, that is an elite package that's going to continue to wreak, ha- wreak havoc um, the rest of the season. That is amazing. What they call the rabbit or dime rabbit, whatever it is, is 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 causing hell for everybody who goes up against it. They almost seem to call that rabid with a with a D. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, those guys, they're they're out for blood. But uh, J Law assessed the uh, the the corner play in this game. Terry on Arnold got the interception, but for the majority of the game, Evan Stewart was beating him like he stole something. I mean, there there's one on one. He just could not stick with the true freshman. And yeah, the guy's a five star. But this guy, Terry on Arnold, redshirt freshman, came in as a safety. And move to cornerback. You got Eli Riggs who's posting cryptic messages on Instagram, but the rumor was he was at practice today, or not the rumor, but they said he was at practice today. Um, Kyrie Jackson sitting back there. I haven't seen him since maybe the Texas game. But uh, Kool-Aid has played well in back-to-back games. I think he's done fairly well. We'll see how he does this week against Tennessee. But Terry on Arnold, I mean, he was a whipping post for Evan Stewart. Yeah, that's I mean, that's about where all their yards came from, too. Um, I mean, I know he came up with the pick. At, that one really might have saved the game because Alabama's defense couldn't get a stop after a turnover. I'm in perfect position for another one. I mean, just got out jumped, got the ball took from him. So those are things that Arnold's probably going to look at. Got beat off the line a few times. Also, Evan Stewart, they, they were talking about this guy's the most NFL-ready freshman wide receiver that they have seen he's 18 though i know that's what i'm saying like I mean, arnold's but, only 19 i guess but still. but he's a safety we know there's a difference between safety and corner and um we've moved one over there evan stewart i mean they were just saying that this guy if he wanted to come out and get drafted if 18 year olds could get drafted they would find that somebody would find a way to pick this guy um so i mean that's the caliber of player that he was going up against but you know, I just think even with the 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 rabbit or the cheetah package or whatever they're calling it with with Will Braswell and Turner, as long as you have a soft corner, you, it was tough to get home. We we had a crap ton of hurries. Only got three sacks. They dropped back what fifty times in the ball game. They didn't like. I mean, the sack percentage wasn't great compared to what we've done so far this year. But as long as you have a soft corner. Um, and a guy that teams think they could pick on. Listen, they're just going to throw it up, jump balls, and when they're under pressure, they're going to they're going to throw it to their guy. And 
it worked out for Haynes King. And uh, listen, we've seen how Alabama gets beat. You miss field goals. They turn it over. They commit penalties. And uh, you see a lot of Johnny Manzellas jump balls and crazy things happen. Alabama still gets the win. But Terrion Arnold, I think, put a lot on tape. Um, good, but also a lot bad when it came to just being a cover corner. I'd go back to our conversation a few weeks ago. Man, just play off. Keep him in front of you. Shade the guy with some help. Um, there was a couple of plays where I thought Brian Branch was out of position. One of those was on a, about a third and nine. And we brought gas and he bit on a fake, went inside, the tight end turned back outside. It was a first down. So there's a couple of those. But, man, I just think overall, definitely the weakest part of this team is corner. And uh, if they can find a way to neutralize that, more pressure on the quarterback, give those guys some more help, I think the, this real, the sky should be the limit for this defense if they can stay physical and get their mind right. Definitely the weakest part of the defense is cornerback. And here we go, traveling to Knoxville, um, number three against number six, where the strength of Tennessee's team is their receiving core. Brew McCoy, Cedric Tillman, Josh Hyatt. Mm. It is uh, – that possibly looks like a nightmare waiting to happen for Alabama. We shall see. Um. Tennessee goes into Baton Rouge. I know it's 11 a.m. kick, but it's still Baton Rouge. Smacks LSU around. Everybody got all hyped up over Death Valley. But, Lester, once you break this LSU team down, you've got another quarterback that can't throw. You start, like, two true freshmen on the offensive line. Their best secondary guy last year is, like, fourth string at Alabama. Um, they had another eight, nine guys at the portal. They're, they're in rebuild mode down there. Now, I don't know how the hell they beat Mississippi State. Uh, and held that offense to like under 20 points, I, th- I think, or something like that, because Will Rogers has been on fire. But um, that's Mississippi State's only loss this year was was at Death Valley. They go up and beat Auburn, who we all know about Auburn, got their ass smacked around 42 to 10, 42 to 10 again this week. What do you make of that game first? And then what do you – what it, the biggest matchup in this game, I don't think it's – I don't think it's – you know, hard to find that it's Tennessee's receivers against Alabama's corners. And Tennessee doesn't throw the ball over the middle a ton. What they love to do is go fast, whatever, catch you sleeping, and then Hooker's just going to take a one-step drop, count to two, and then just throw it as far as he can. And he knows that you you have to have a one-on-one out there. Everybody's on an island because of the way they spread their offense out. And so what do you, what do you make of that Tennessee beatdown of LSU this week? And just exactly what Alabama's walking into with, with those corners against with our corners against their receivers this week. I think that, like I said, LSU's a, a, a rebuilding rebuilding team, and what comes with that is just it's going to be some Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, you know, you got guys who may not want to be there, like Butte or whoever. Like some weeks they're going to have it, and some weeks they're not. Um, with Tennessee, let's let's look at them for a hot second. Um, they played Ball State. Pitt was kind of close. They beat the hell out of Ball State. Beat the hell out of Akron. Um, you had the Florida game. They won by five. Tennessee, they won. I mean, LSU, they won by 27. How much elite competition has this team really played against? You know what I mean? Um, sure putting up a bunch of points and things and scoring like that against those teams 
that's fair, but have they played a complete? Have they played a team as complete of a team as Alabama? I don't think so. Um, so I think that we're gonna match up fine. One thing, one thing to watch about for this game being on the road is penalties. Do not get pi'd to sleep in this game. You cannot give up minimum, like I said, because they're gonna throw the deep ball. It's gonna suck if you're gonna defend the play successfully but the ref's gonna call a flag on you cannot do that let's try not do that this game and i think that's gonna be really really important dbs have to play sound coverage um and man just kind of hang in there and hope that those guys hope they can cover them long enough for our defensive line to get to them i think that's gonna be key to this game our defensive line if the dbs can just play back um not get penalized to death and give Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, those guys up front to wreak some havoc, I don't think that Tennessee is going to be as explosive as, um, consistently explosive as people think that they will be. Yeah, I said the uh, the matchup is between Bama's corners and Tennessee's receivers. I should have said Bama's corners against the refs because, that you know, Kool-Aid, he's going to grab and hold. Yep. Arnold, if he can ever catch up to the guy, he's going he's gonna to grab and hold up. For some reasons, what they're taught to like lock arms with the guy. I don't know. So, yeah, I think if Alabama fares better in this game at that position, if the rest let them play, but everybody wants Alabama to go down. J Law just said that, you know, all of a sudden when teams play Alabama, they just don't commit any penalties. They just play absolutely perfect football and they don't try to do anything to, they don't do anything to get a penalty that warrants a penalty. Um, obviously, that's bullshit. Every Alabama game is called differently. You can call it what you want, but you're never going to sit here or you're never going to hear um, the Gump Runners just straight up blame the refs for anything. But you will get a a ref crew every once in a while that's pass interference happy. You look at the Texas game. A couple of those on Kool-Aid or one of them was warranted, one of them was not. But it, that's how he plays. And so if you get a crew – that feeds into the atmosphere that's going to be Nayland Stadium, and, uh, and and he gets flag happy, then you're you're just toast because there's nothing you can do. Um, you know, fourteen to seven Tennessee last year, J Law. You love to talk about this game at the end of the first quarter. You've got to avoid them having a fast start. If you can take the crowd out early, much like you did against Arkansas, and just keep your foot on the gas. I know Alabama wasn't able to do that because of Bryce going out to kind of put a damper on everything, but, um, and by the way, we're all assuming Bryce is playing this week. I I'm going into this game and all my predictions and everything I'm going to say, I'm assuming Bryce is playing and that he's good enough to be close to hundred percent. The, what I'm hearing is that he is not having any rotational issues. He's not, he hasn't lost any accuracy, any power, on his throws, uh, it's all about pain management. And so I'm assuming that he'll get shot up with something. And he'll be good to go. So that's how I'm attacking this, this part of the podcast. Um, but yeah, 14 to seven, Tennessee, J-Law, you love to talk about this game, how it was close until the fourth quarter. Alabama scores 28 points in the fourth quarter to blow these guys away. Um, if you, if in Tennessee, that offense is designed to jump on you quick, you know, they're going to have their, their script, their first two drives are going to be scripted. If you allow them to score 14 points and you're down 14 7 early or 14 to 3, 
I mean, talk about what Tennessee can do to you offensively. This is the number one offense in the country. Um, they go 50 yards wide, 50 yards deep. You know, you're going to need some extra sprint work and practice this week because you better be ready to go and you better be conditioned enough to, to be able to stop these guys. Yeah, they also run it pretty well, too. But uh, listen, this is a balanced team. It's easy to say that, you know, Hendon Hooker, who is a, definitely a Heisman candidate, has some of the best weapons in college football to throw to, and that's what they do with us. And they're, they're pretty balanced. But what this, what, what this team can do to you is kind of what we've seen beat Alabama over the last few years, the 2014-type of Ole Miss, 2015-type Old Ole Miss, a high-octane offense that loves to throw the ball outside of the numbers, down the sideline, test your corners. They do a lot of motion. We talked about what Jimbo was going to do. We knew what he was going to do. Uh, some offset formation, unbalanced, guys in motion. You're going to see that on 90% of snaps. They're going to make this Alabama defense think, and as soon as they see that you're not thinking correctly, they're going to snap the ball. This isn't a cat and mouse game. They're going to play cat until you're out of position, then they're going to snap the football. So you're not going to have time to adjust. They're going to be able to check at the line as many times as they want to. They're at home. There's going to be about 6,000 Alabama fans there, and they put you all in the upper deck outside of the 10 fans they put by the band. So um, this isn't going to be a – to me, there's a lot of very optimistic Alabama fans out there this isn't going to be 2014. I was at that game, too, but we got – I mean, Amari Cooper did whatever he wanted to in that game. I think he scored three touchdowns that game against Tennessee. This isn't going to be one of those games where Alabama jumps out, um, you know, 21 nothing, and Tennessee hangs their head and they mail it in. This isn't, this isn't one of those teams. This is a team that is very capable of beating Alabama. This is a team that if they're up 14 nothing, they're not going to mail it in either. They're not going to go conservative. They're going to try to throttle it down on you because they know they don't have a great defense. And then if they can jump up on you, they're going to they're going to this offense wants to jump up on you. So your offense has to take chances. And that's when they pin their ears back. They are a good sack team. They're a good tackles for loss team. They can't cover anybody much like Arkansas. A lot of times they can't cover anybody because they are trying to bring pressure because they know how bad they are in the back end. But if you get a lead, you can do that, and it's worked out well for them. They haven't played a great defense, quite frankly. Man, we hadn't either. I'm just going to be honest. We have not played a great defense. They haven't played a great defense. The difference is Alabama, to me, has – it's elite. It's not the greatest defense of all times. It might not be the, great, the, great, the best defense in college football right now. Statistically, in some categories it is. But this is an elite defense, something that Tennessee does not have. And if we could find a way to even on their first two drives, just give up seven, match them seven, seven after four possessions between the two teams. I think Alabama's in a, in a good position for the rest of the game. I agree with that, too. Uh, lesser offensively for Alabama. Once again, assuming Bryce plays, how confident are you? We saw the, the game plan that Bill O'Brien went into the Arkansas game with. It was magical when Bryce was in the game. Uh, the ball was spread out. We were running well. We were taking shots downfield. We were completing the shots downfield. We had guys running wide open all over the place. We used their aggressiveness against them, and um, that's something that Bill O'Brien did really well. You probably have a similar defensive scheme to that of Arkansas, whereas, you know, we want to take some chances. We know our pass defense isn't great. Tennessee's starting safety and captain got arrested, um, beat the hell out of some dude in an apartment complex, and uh, so he's – probably going to be out. It wouldn't shock me at all. This is Tennessee. They low down, they dirty, they some snitches. 
Uh, it would not surprise me if he suits up Saturday and they kind of appeal it and they're like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll suspend him next week. You know, usually that's how the cookie crumbles over there. But um, going into this this game with Tennessee, them having a similar defensive scheme of Arkansas, how much confidence do you have in Bill O'Brien that he's going to game plan the right way? You know, Tennessee, J-Law did mention their pass defense is bad, but uh, they're giving up less than 100 yards a game on the ground. And so, if anything, is is solid. It's their front seven, uh, especially their front four right there in the middle or, or that front line, that defensive line. So, do you think that Bill O'Brien kind of just stays stubborn and, and stays the – but with the run game, you know, stays run heavy, or if he's got a healthy Bryce, do you think maybe you see something similar that we saw against Arkansas? Um, I'm hoping we see something similar that we saw, saw against Arkansas. But um, as good as the, you know, running game has been the past couple of weeks, I hope we go with a more balanced attack as long as the score allows us to do that. And I'm, when I say by that, I mean not getting down by a lot and, um, maintaining you know elite that way where you can you know use you know probably your best skill player in Gibbs um but yeah certainly hope that golly man I hope that this isn't one of those uber conservative game plans that we've seen from Saban because like once again guys big game college game day is coming like we've seen this before where it's gonna be like all right let's come out get a lead and just try to hold them or whatever no, I hope they come out, balls to the wall, foot on the gas, and go, go, go. You cannot allow in spread air in spread air teams to gain momentum, which is what happens when you get up and you get lax a little bit. When you get up and you allow a little bit of breathing room, all it takes is one play, one turnover, one turnover, anything to give team life especially in this environment, especially against a team, a coaching staff, a fan base that is this hungry for a win over Alabama. They have life. They have a chance. So you've got to come out and dominate and score and keep your foot on the neck. That's that's what I'm hoping. So, yeah, man, I'm hoping they come out with a, um, a similar game plan to uh, – what you're talking about and keep these guys guessing off balance and on their toes. You cannot let them get settled in. Jayla, I wanted to say this question for you since you mentioned earlier already that you have been to a game in Knoxville. That wasn't a great Tennessee team. They might've been ranked. I can't remember, but Tennessee hasn't had this much juice around their program in a long, long time. Do you agree with me when I say the atmosphere that you'll get Saturday in Nayland Stadium will be the most, maybe not the most, but, and guys, this is going to sound crazy, but I'm going to tell you, it might be a top five most electrifying atmosphere in college football history. Now, let me explain myself. There might not be a hungrier fan base in all of college football than Tennessee. Because these guys are a blue blood program. They are a top six program of all time. Not recently, of all time. These guys have always been good. They've, I mean, these these teams, like, people don't, Tennessee used to be, well, they used to win national championships. I mean, they used to win the SEC. It was Tennessee in the East. It wasn't Georgia. 
for you young kids listening out there, Georgia wasn't always great. It was the volunteers. And it was all, you know, this rivalry is something that has been, this is a bitter rivalry that's gone back, right, what, over 120 years? And so they've gotten a little taste of success. These guys are out for blood. 103,000 rabid Tennessee fans, literally, probably, because they, like, deal with raccoons and shit. They probably have rabies. They want Saban's head. They've got a 15-year losing streak to them. There's a 15, there's a 16-year-old that's going to be at this game, or a 15-year-old that's going to be at this game that's never seen Tennessee beat Alabama ever. DKR was loud, Texas, because it had 105,000, which is more than what Nalen holds. But they're not as hungry for a Bama loss like Tennessee is. There's going to be a different sound echoing off the Tennessee River Saturday afternoon than ever before. J-Lo, can you agree with that? And how, how does Alabama handle that pressure? Do you think they're up for the challenge? We played, what, one a quarter of a good road game, quarter and a half of a good road game this year, um, and really the last two years outside of the Mississippi State game. How do you think Bama handles this? I, I, I don't know how they're going to handle it. I don't know. I mean, I saw pictures of Darian Dalcourt uh, working with the first-team offensive line again. We know there's normally been some calm issues on the road with Dalcourt at center. Um, but listen, there, this is going to be a loud environment. But people saying, not you, but I'm saying people saying this is going to be way louder than it was against Florida a few weeks ago. Loud is loud. It, once it gets to the point where you can't hear yourself think, which is what the Florida players were saying, I'm not sure how much more loud it can get. Yeah, they're going to want it more. But if, if you have 103,000 people screaming as loud as they can scream, unless you replace those people with people that scream louder than them, it's not going to be any louder. This will be the loudest place Alabama goes this year. I mean, the way the LSU game looking, that's probably – last a- decade, though. I mean, you would think, unless maybe maybe one of those games in Death Valley when LSU had a top-10 team. Yeah. I mean, but, this is this man. is going to be close to Jordan Hare Stadium fourth quarter last year. I mean, like that place was rocking. Drew said he'll never go back. I I will personally never go back. It's going to be very similar to that. The only thing I like about this is, man, the way that just just the fact that the way that the offensive line has been blocked, and a lot of those problems last year could have been calm issues was the right tackle issue. Our right tackle issue is solved. J.C. Latham is one of the best tackles in the SEC already. Um, so, like, those, those, a few of those problems have been solved. The issue right now is can – can't do we have the playmakers that can help Alabama do what Tennessee is going to try to do in this game, which is get out early, calm the crowd down, and can we finish? We saw us go up 21-0 on the road against Florida – and then we let them back in it. We were up 28 nothing on Arkansas. And with whatever happened, special teams, whatever, we let them back in it. Can we get a 28 nothing and not give up two back-to-back touchdown drives like we did against Arkansas? I mean, those are the things that like, you want to see your defense play hard. Your defense is, in this game, to me, is what's going to set the tempo. They're going to be out there. It's going to be quiet while they're playing. They'll be able to think. They should be able to think. They're going to have to make the plays to get a lull somewhere in this game where offense can take advantage of it. Yeah, it's going to be loud. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be one of the loudest environments in, in college football this week, probably all year. Um, but to me, loud is loud, and I'm not sure. I mean, you could barely hear the announcers call the Tennessee-Florida game. That place was rocking. So, 
Um, loud is loud. This is going to be the toughest place Alabama plays this year. Um, they're gonna, we're going to have to play our asses off to get a win. Let's talk about that, uh, the Dow Court thing. That was actually my next question. Um, Seth, you know, Dow Court slotted back into that starting center spot. Um, Seth McLaughlin just done a tremendous job these last two weeks. And <clears throat> I wanted to ask you this, because you're my defensive lineman. I played offensive line. You played defensive line. You know how important it is for an offensive lineman to, to get his hips set. And what that means for you people that don't know is whenever you're running to the left or the right, in order to seal somebody as an offensive lineman, you've got to set your hips. you got to get your hips around the guy and set them and seal them. Whenever you're getting bull rushed, you've got to be able to set your hips down and hold your ground. Seth McLaughlin's undersized. He was a, a mid three-star coming out of high school. I did not want him. I didn't like him. The dude has developed into a hell of a center, and he's the best center we have on our roster as far as what he does with his technique, with his – you know, he's got to be more finesse. He's, in, he's only like 290 pounds, 295 pounds. Um, but what he's able to do as the leader of that offensive line when he's on the field is miraculous, and it's something that Dalcourt doesn't have. And he can't do it on the road. Dalcourt, he, he didn't do it last year against Florida. He didn't do it against Texas. He's done a piss-poor job of communicating with Bryce. And uh, and I think that's a, that's one thing that will hurt Alabama in this game. I don't like Dalcourt there. Yeah, he's bigger. He's more physical. But he doesn't he doesn't steal guys very good. Guys, go look at the Arkansas game. Look at Gibbs' two long runs. And then look at all the runs that he broke in the Texas A&M game for 10 yards or more. And see how many times that's because Seth McLaughlin worked a double team with the guard and was able to seal the guy which allows what? It allows the guard to work up to the second level. If you've got a center that has really good feet and can seal a guy, plus, dude, Seth McLaughlin pulls on a lot of plays. He is hella agile, and he's not gonna he's not gonna take Jordan Davis and put him on his back. He's not gonna get eight nine pancakes a game. That's not who he is. He's a finesse, a spread center, and he's a damn good one. So, Lester, talk about the job that Seth has done. And how frustrating it is to see Dalcourt back in that damn offensive that starting spot when Seth has played so well and the offensive line as a whole has played so well. And that has a lot to do with 56 in the middle. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. It's it's to the point where you all where you almost want both of them on the field at the same time. Like, why can't we get that? Especially when you have a um, especially when you have um, competition at you know one or both of the guard positions you would hope you can slide in both of those guys but I, for some reason I guess that's not possible but yeah it's it's <laughs> watching Seth is so fun to play because see the thing is on those reach blocks where you got to square up and you got to um, seal off if you don't seal it off right or the right way you are off balance and that nose tackle bearing down on you will put you six feet in the dirt. So watching Seth doing what he's done has been hella impressive. And it's hell. I know a lot of people don't watch, you know, O-line or D-line play. Um, typically when I watch football, that's kind of what I do. Cause you know, 
if that doesn't go right, then you know your whole play is going to shit from there in the first place. So it's always fun to watch Seth play, um, fun, agile. But yeah, I, communication on the road and have a hundred thousand fans screaming at you. And this is not like a one or two game sample size where we've seen where Seth has you know thrived or you know, died in this situation. In every situation where he's been in center in these loud, toxic environments, he has been rock solid steady. And that's what you're going to need to be successful. You do not need um, Dalcourt coming in and not being solid, you know, as the leader, as the center on this office line. You don't need false starts. You don't need to do anything to help Tennessee, you know, gain an inch in this game. So, you know, Unfortunately, you know, hey, Delcourt's the guy. But I would love to see Seth come in. If they're going to shuffle around Booker and some of these other guys, if the O-line is struggling, I would love to see Seth come in and see what he can do. So, and what was Delcourt's injury? Why was he out in the first place? Oh, sprained his vagina. Probably, back, yeah. Probably back that. spasms. Back spasms, shit. Okay. I don't know what that is. I never had one. But I pushed on his ass so much. How, how of all the guys that have been hurt and weren't able to earn their spot back, how is Darian Dalcourt the one that gets it back? That's a big question. I, I don't know. I mean, if he was an all all American center, I get it. Right. Well, I, I think I told you a lot. I mean, last week he was still a team captain. I mean, this guy is apparently well liked. I mean, it's him, Will, and Bryce at the coin toss. This guy. I was just thinking last week he lost his starting job. I think back spasms would take two weeks. But, yeah, I mean, guys, in this game, I'm looking at it. We, we've we we've played, to me, better comp- some better competition. We know LSU is a – they're a dumpster fire right now. Um, I know they dominated them, but those guys were toe-to-toe with Auburn, who is miserable, bad, horrible. We want, I don't even know if we're going to talk about their game. Florida, dude, they're an okay team. Listen, they went to overtime with Pitt. Dude, Pitt lost to Georgia Tech. Um, they've played Ball State. Last year, we joked on Auburn for playing Akron. When Akron is by far and away, the, they're probably the worst team in all of the FBS. They're horrible on offense, sub-100. They're horrible on defense, sub-100. Um, they're bad. And then LSU's in a down year, Ball State. I mean, they're, they're scheduled to me not super impressive, but it's still about – being able to stop Hendon Hooker. And we talked about Jimbo's book. Um, this is – they're playing this. They've already told you they're playing this like it's a championship game. So expect everything from these guys. J-Lo, what do you hate about Tennessee the most? I, this is going to sound bad. My whole – I know they beat us a lot when we were kids. But since I was in eighth grade, these guys haven't touched us. I mean, ninth grade, they haven't touched us. Now, here's what I hate about Tennessee. It's not the orange stuff. It's not the – and none of that's a funny video. To me, it's the, the ability to have constant shit talk around the clock. Like, look at this week. Dude, these guys haven't beat us in 15 years. You would think that their shit talk this week is a little different because they, they have a chance to win. Go find the tweets from last year. They're identical. And the year before. And the year before. And the year before. It's This is a constant ability to shit talk when you don't have a chance to win. These guys are obnoxious. They're bad. It's probably been my worst experiences ever. It's been going to Knoxville three times, just rude fans. They 
they hate us. It's not a rivalry to us right now until we lose to them. This is this is a still a big deal. And uh, to me, I think that the number one thing is just the the ability. It's almost it's Georgia. The last 15 years trash talk without being nearly as good as what Georgia's been to to me. That's what it's like the few times I've been to to Knoxville. Just obnoxious fans didn't really like being there. The stadium's a dump. I mean, the the bathrooms on our side of the stadium were closed. Where you were there, remember you had to like go down to the lower level to use the bathroom. Yeah. You must have I mean, the game going down there. Their buildings on campus have like window units. Yeah, they're all just old. It's bad. It's nasty. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot that I hate about them, but it's probably just the constant trash talk without being good. Yeah, definitely in the last couple of years. I guess you could say the last decade. I mean, we played Georgia in the SEC championship a bunch. Um, beat them in the regular season a couple of times when they were a top 10 team. And then, of course, last year in the national championship, played them twice. Uh, so recently, Georgia's a bigger rival to Alabama probably than Tennessee. But the meaning of the rivalry is is what holds this thing on. And me personally, I have a a dad who will never let me forget anything about Tennessee. So we can beat them. 40 times in a row and on that 40, 41st year all all probably a couple of weeks leading up to the game he'll start telling me all the stories about all the stuff they've done to us putting us on probation fat feel um you know peyton manning leading the band uh bear bryant hating their guts making the whole team eat orange food and orange drink all the whole week leading up to it and blaring rocky top whenever we were going to play him on the road um, you know, all the incest that goes on up there, you, you just it, it, everything just disgusts me with them. The color sets it off because that color represents their fan base, like you were talking about. Just like the dude said in that video, it's that inside of a pumpkin throw up orange, and that is symbolistic of what their fan base is. It's a bunch of incest, you know, Daniel Daniel Boone. Coon cat wearing rednecks with their muskets riding around in their big old Ford trucks with their sisters topless hanging out the back. Just nasty. Lester, what do you hate about Tennessee? And then we'll get on to the, uh, to our predictions for this game. Um, yeah, I I had an uncle who probably never stepped foot on campus ever, but he's, Swear he's the biggest Alabama fan, whatever. Yeah. He's all ever since the um, he's always told me a lot about Tennessee, but snitches get stitches. And ever since the Philip Fulmer, um, gonna put Alabama out of business, ever since then, it's kind of made a little something different for me. He never lets me uh forget, forget about that. So, yeah, um, definitely going back to Philip Fulmer and and all of that jazz with Bama back in from the um, SC media days. Uh, the infamous picture with all of the with the microphones around the old um, speakerphone back in the day. So yeah, that's where that's where it goes back to. Yeah, and they they are an, an obnoxious bunch for sure. Lester, do you know why the toothbrush was invented in Knoxville? No, for the one teeth. Yeah, if it was invented anywhere else, it'd been called the <laughs> teeth brush. <laughs> Dog, I'm I'm sitting here googling the uh, Alabama Tennessee 2017 because they were ranked 2016, right? It, uh, was that up there? Yeah, it was up there. Sorry, 2016. Jalen's freshman year. Yeah, and it said people also ask. This is a Google. Has Tennessee ever beaten Alabama? It's like the number. <laughs> it's the number one thing up there. I just thought this was hilarious. Yeah, some 13 year old going there. I mean, can I get one win? 
No, Junior, shut the hell up. Hope you get – yeah, hope the winning streak gets his driver's license this week. That'd be nice. Uh, J-Law, break it down for us, man. What are the keys to to Alabama getting a win and give me a final score prediction? Alabama's favored by what? Is it seven and a half right now? Yeah, it's still seven and a half. Yeah, seven and a half. So, tell me what you got. Yeah, uh, it, it sounds crazy to say this. Don't give up the big play. This is a big play team. Yeah, they can drive it. They they get a lot of yards per game. One of the best in the nation. Um, they don't give up the big play. Make them work for it. And um, man, I think you got to. I think you got to trust your pass rush to get home in this and contain and contain Hendon Hooker because this guy likes to run the ball. He's a big part of their rush offense. Uh, we know that Alabama's going to take the run away, the designed run. It's about the other plays that can be explosive to beat you, and that's where Tennessee's beating a lot of teams this year. Um, offensively, to me, man, we got to communicate, we got to block, and we got to have a good game plan. Listen, these guys are awful. This would be the what the second worst pass defense we played because Vandy's ranked one thirty. These guys are one hundred twenty seven or, or one hundred twenty eight. Uh, we're going to throw in this game to set up the run because these guys can't cover the pass. We're going to throw, we're going to throw, we're going to throw. Just if they blitz and they can't get home, we're going to force them to back off. And then I think it's going to be Gibbs, McQuillan, and uh, and Roy Dell time. But I fully trust that Bryce is going to play. A lot of people are tweeting out even tonight that, you know, Bryce is still – there's still a lot of questions about Bryce Young. I think Josh Pate from 24-7 Sports had a monologue about it that a lot of people think Bryce is just going to be fine and dandy, but we'll see. Um, I'm going to say Bryce is 85% or better to go in this game, considering that he wanted to play in the last one. And I think they're going to put this one on the arm of their Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. And can he get the receiver support in this game? Can he get the offensive line support in this game? Um, I'd like to think he he will, based off of what we saw with Bryce in the first half against Arkansas. But it wasn't all rainbows that happy that we dropped too many passes. Again, could have been 28 nothing before Bryce came out, before Bryce got hurt. So, uh, it's a, this is going to be a full – it's been a long time since we've said it against Tennessee. This is going to be a three-phase game, man. You can't turn the ball over. you got to have good special teams. you got to play good on offense, and you gotta you got to play good defense. And at the end of the day, this last week shouldn't have been close. I was kind of disappointed in a four-point win, if you will. But um, this week is going to be one of those weeks where if Alabama was winning by one, when the clock hits zero, I'm going to be ecstatic because I think Alabama is playing a really good team. The front five are so important in this game. And I say the front five, that's because a majority of this game, Alabama is going to be in a dime package. And so a lot's going to be on the shoulders of Will, uh, Byron Young, DJ Dell, Tim Smith, uh, Jaheim Otis, maybe at times. I don't think he'll play much in this game. But then Henry T, you, you got to have the best game of your career. There's a homecoming for him. Uh, it's going to be emotional, you know, it's between Alabama and Tennessee and recruiting. He committed to Jeremy Pruitt. Probably got some cash in the McDonald's bag. But, uh, you know, he, he's coming back his final year of college football to the place where he started his career and started his legacy. He's got to have the game of his life, and that's because Tennessee's going to spread you out so much. It's going to be a thin box a lot, uh, a lot of five, six-man boxes for Alabama. So that front six – has to play extraordinary and stopping the run. If you can neutralize the run game, which Alabama did it last year, Tennessee only ran for 65 yards the whole game. If you can neutralize the run with just five or six in the box, then 
you really help your back end because you don't need safety help. Um, they can help with your corners. Who I think the corner is going to need all the help they can get. So if you can rely on having some safety help on some of those deep balls and try to read when those things are coming, maybe you know check a down and distance where they love taking a shot and just maybe drop a couple of safeties and see if you can maybe get a cheap interception 35, 40 yards downfield. I think that would be huge. But if you can't stop the run with five or six, then you're not going to stop Tennessee. They were two out of 13 versus Alabama on third down last year. That's because Alabama did a good job of stopping the run early. They're going to go fast, but they can also put themselves in bad situations if you're able to stop the run. All of a sudden, you're looking at third and eight, third and seven. It's a lot easier or a lot harder to convert than a third and two when you when you can have options. So I think Alabama's defensive line is better than it was a year ago. I think their linebacking group is better than it was a year ago when they played Tennessee. Um, and then when the field shrinks, I think that's another big key for Alabama is turning some red zone possessions into field goals for Tennessee. I have no doubt that Tennessee is going to move the ball in between the 20s like it's nobody's business. That wouldn't surprise me at all. I'm not going to get gassed up by that. But when that field shrinks and you can take the deep ball away – from really the 25 in, um, I think Alabama, if they can if they can nut up and they can get some stops and force a lot of field goals, which I think that's going to happen. I think that's the key in this game is Alabama's offensive line being able to produce rushing touchdowns once they get into the red zone and then Tennessee is not being able to. I think Alabama's run defense is elite. I think Tennessee's is good, but like y'all have both mentioned the schedule. I mean, they play three ranked teams – None of those teams are ranked anymore. Whenever they played them, they were ranked, and they weren't anybody in the top 15, but no longer ranked anymore. Um, I think it was Florida, what, Florida, LSU, and uh, Pittsburgh, whatever yeah. it was. Um, so, yeah, I, Tennessee hasn't faced anything like Alabama. They're in the comfort of their home stadium, so I'll give them that. I can easily see Tennessee having a game where they score three touchdowns in this game but kick four field goals. So I'm going to go 41-33, Bama. I'm going to say we get over that seven and a half. Hey, Vegas knows. How many times do you hear that? Dude, Vegas knows. How do they know? I don't know. Vegas knows. So I'm going to say 41-33, Bama. They get over that 70 and a half. Lester, what's your prediction for this one? Um, I would love to see Reichert get back into the groove of things, make a couple kicks here and there. Um, I would love to see special teams set this offense up um, with some great field position because that's going to be needed. Going to need Kool-Aid to make um, sound decisions, going to continue to be electric when he gets the ball in his hands. Um, I'm going to say a 41-27 type game. Ben, don't break on defense, and uh, and let's go from there. Let's get a dub and get out of that dump and get back on Tuscaloosa. So you're calling for, what's that, damn, four, two touchdowns? Something like that. I'm going to trust Bryce and this offense to come out and continue to do what they can, score the ball, run the offense, and not go conservative. This is a big game, and games cannot be played. You have to do what you got to do to get up on these guys. Don't give them a chance. Don't give them a little glimmer of hope at all. Yeah, I didn't even give mine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what you got? I think I'm going to go – I'll go 38-34, Bama. I think it's going to be a miracle to keep Tennessee under 35, but I think our defense is that good. Yeah. Um, 
And like you said, just eliminate the big plays, man. I mean, I guess a pass interference is better than a 45-yard completion. So I, I don't want to take the the Auburn outlook on it where, you know, if you're beat, just tackle the guy and uh, just give up 15 instead of 65 and a touchdown. Um, I apologize to all the Auburn fans listening out there that we didn't get to cover your game tonight. Um, Alabama has a – has a close victory at home and then has a top six matchup college game day is going to be there. So we wanted to devote all our time to that, but I promise you if Alabama loses, we will spend a lot of time on Auburn next week. Um, so you guys just, just hang on and, uh, and we'll get to you guys. Uh, J-Law, what's your bet of the week this week? Did you hit yours last week? Yeah, I, I did it again. Good. Man, there you go. All right. I'm, I, Cause I, well, hold on, wait, can you take yeah, that I, one minus seven and a half, please? I mean, dang. no, I'm going to roll. This is an easy one for me. I will discuss Auburn. I'm going to take Mississippi, Ole Miss, and the points. Minus 15 at home. Dude, Auburn's oh, bad. That's fine, Oh, dang it. I'm I'll change sorry. it. No problem. No okay. problem. Tell How me why. These guys are bad. That's why Auburn is bad. Ole Miss, dude. Listen, I know they, they've snuck some wins out. Uh, they probably shouldn't have beaten Kentucky. But this is a good football team, man. They're, they're playing for Lane Kiffin. They're a legitimate contender to win – the West, or at least some way force a three-way tie at the end of the year. Um, Auburn just th- – this team is about to quit. I think it's over. I, th- I don't think they come out with any fire, any passion on the road, especially the way Auburn beat Ole Miss last year. Ole Miss will be ready um, to go in this game, but another 11 a.m. kickoff is not going to make Kiffin happy. So that might be a little tricky part of it. But I think at the end of the day, you're going to get at least 15 and a half out of Ole Miss here. My uh, my bet of the week. I'm not gonna go Al- the Alabama game this week because um, I don't want to. I lost um, last week, so I don't want to be right twice and tell you to take Tennessee. But and I dang sure don't want to tell you to take Alabama minus seven and a half on the road. But I'm gonna go. It's gonna be a tough one, but I think Clemson minus four in Tallahassee. Um, in case you haven't noticed, Clemson's getting better. Now, I don't – I still – their offense is still not elite, but DJ is playing better. They go to Wake Forest, and it took them two overtimes, and they gave up 45 points, but they scored 51 themselves. They beat Wake Forest on the road. Then the very next week, they got to come back, and they play a top 10 NC State at home, beat them by 10, 30 to 20. And then they go to Boston College in a game where they were favored by, like, 14, I think, 15, and, uh, and win by 28. So these guys are rolling right now, and when you're hot, you're hot. And they they continue they they go to Florida State. Um, Florida State hasn't been playing great as of late. Uh, gosh, I'm just throwing out rhymes left and right here. Back to back losses for Florida State actually. Wake Forest and NC State, two teams that Clemson beat. Um, they've lost to both of them. So take Clemson minus four on the road. Lester, what you got? Man, y'all were taking <laughs> both of mine. Um, I was going to take Clemson after Dale I took uh, Auburn, but that's okay. I am going to go with um, – uh-oh, where'd it go here? I'm going to go with the uh, Oklahoma State and TCU. TCU Good is – Good one. TCU is a four-point favorite, but take Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, even though they're on the road, um, I've always kind of like Gundy. I think he's kind of he's a funny guy. So I'm going to take Oklahoma State uh, plus four. 
I mean, actually, gonna, I'll take but, Vanderbilt in the points, but who are they playing? I, they're playing Georgia. Georgia's 38 point favorite. I don't think Georgia beats them by 38, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, that game has got 49 to nothing written all over it. Probably. <laughs> Heck, probably the easiest one would have been uh, Utah's a three and a half point favorite. Hosting yeah. USC, I might I would take USC all day. I should probably change mine to that. Where did USC go to Oregon State and barely won? Yeah, it was better. Utah's gonna, gonna be rocking. Now they just yeah. got stomped by UCLA on the road, though. Pac mm-hmm. 12's got some got some teams, man. I'm telling you, I think Utah's still pretty good. UCLA six and zero, not getting any respect out there in the Chip Kelly. Uh, USC, of course, you know all the firepower they they got, and then of course the Oregon Ducks led by. Future Heisman Trophy winner, Bo Nix. I mean, dang, where did this Bo Nix guy come from? I've never heard of him. Like, this guy's like a fourth-year player. You think he'd be showing out somewhere. But he's a guy they got out of the portal. He's freaking balling out. Former five-star. His dad's a coach. I mean, what more do you want out of a guy? But uh, anyway. All right, guys. Yeah, I like all those picks. Really love the Ole Miss. <laughs> minus 14 and a half, minus 15 or whatever. Um, but yeah, we'll talk some Auburn next week, especially if Alabama loses, like I said. But until then, um, screw you, Rocky Top. Go to hell, Tennessee. Roll Tide. Episode 73 of the Gumpreneurs Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Miss with Jeremy Law. We're out.